Welcome to Lean Agile Management Podcast, a show by Kanbanize that helps you boost work efficiency, create culture of high performance, and build teams that thrive. Welcome to the lounge. Today in the show. What do you mean by Kanban? Because managers are very often mostly concerned with what people are doing and managing the people. But um, Drucker said a long time ago, manage the work, not the workers. You know, Kanban is a management method. It's a it's a way of looking of looking at work um, and how to manage the work and how to increase the, the value that, that flows through it. So in any context, our work is invisible. Yes, we can see we're busy, busy and managers very often focus on, well, is that person busy? Because otherwise I'm not getting value from them. Well, everybody's busy, but what are they, what are the things that are, they're working on and are they actually being delivered? Our special guest today is Andy Carmichael. He is a managing director from Huge.io, public speaker, coach, author, and co-author of several books on agile software delivery and Kanban. And he has extensive background in engineering and management. Hi, Andy. Welcome on the show. Hi, Dima. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm very glad we could steal some of your time. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> <laughs> so for the start, could I ask you a little bit about your background and what exactly drew you to Kanban? Because today people do recognize your name in agile and lean environment, but how did it all get started? Well, the Kanban story is not too long ago, really. I, I uh, worked years ago with David Anderson, but um, met him again only in 2012, 2013, when I started to take a, a close interest in Kanban. I've uh, been working in Agile Matters for some time before that. Um, originally featured in development, which is sort of uh, in the late 90s. But uh, the, the reason that um, I was interested in getting to know more about Kanban was, um, I think like a lot of Agile coaches at that time, looking to take clients beyond um, the stage they got to with using Scrum, looking at um, scaling uh, the use of Agile methods across larger organizations. And uh, so I uh, went on David's masterclass and um, spoke to him about Kanban. And that's really what got me uh, uh, going and and started in uh, using and speaking about Kanban. Wonderful. And um, recently, you also co-authored uh, several books. One of them is called Kanban Condensed, right? And could you tell us a little bit about that? Give us a small introduction. Yeah. Well, Essential Kanban Condensed sort of arose from actually conversations that I had at that first meeting I had with, with David. Um, because I think, uh, like a lot of people, you hear about Kanban in the market, you see some controversy about it. And there's, um, you know, is it better than Scrum? Is it worse than Scrum? Is a typical question. And so I was interested um, in that question and where I should be recommending Kanban to my clients. And so I said to David, well, you know, I know what Scrum is. I can look at the Scrum guide at 16 pages and it's easy to understand. And that defines what uh, Ken Schwaber and Jeff Sutherland mean by Scrum. What do you mean by Kanban? Because I hear lots of people talking about it and, for the most part, they're not aligned with what you're saying Kanban is. Okay. I said, oh, yeah, we've got a, uh, we've got a guide coming out uh, in a few months. You know, that, Well, a few years later, uh, that hadn't come out, and he asked me to, to be involved in another publishing project. project. So I said, well, um, I can't do that, but maybe I could help out on uh, getting the, the guide out, which is what we started on, and um, that came out last year, 2016. Um, it's uh, basically 40 pages of method definition of you know, as, as succinctly as we can get to the key points of the Kanban method, plus notes and glossaries and index and those things, which takes it up to around 100 pages. But it's it's a very short guide, really, to uh, to the Kanban method. Mm, right. Yeah. yeah. So the name actually is quite self-explanatory. <laughs> it gives the most essential parts condensed to a 
as um, yeah. easily digestible format. <laughs> yes, and I think because um, David Anderson involved in lots of other aspects of the method, um, there's ESP, enterprise service planning, there's his latest book about uh, uh, fitness for purpose, lots of other aspects of Kanban or, or what Kanban users are involved in using with clients. And so um, it was yet helpful to have that sort of short definition of, of the essentials of the method. Right, right. Yeah. And recently you started talking and um, even more about something else, which is called the Kanban lens. Well, Kanban lens, yes. Uh, I, I did a, a short presentation at the uh, Kanban, at the Hamburg uh, Lean Kanban Central Europe uh, this year. Um, it actually dates back to the similar period of uh, 2013 when, uh, again, uh, I, I'd spoken to David about, okay, we've got principles, we've got definition of Kanban systems, these are all parts of, of the method, but there's something missing in terms of um, where do we start? And the first, the first sort of starting point of people using Kanban is to look at their work in a different way. And that's, um, that's what we mean by the Kanban lens. David actually did a blog, blog um, at that time. And more recently, I've come back to that and talked to him again about making the words clearer in terms of what the Kanban lens is. And uh, so that's been quite a fruitful thing recently. And that's um, what I spoke at. Um, about in, in Hamburg, and it's, it is a simple scheme. You know, there are there are four elements of the lens to look at your work as as flow, um, which is a surprisingly um, simple thing to say, but is actually quite profound. We're we quite used to thinking about our work as being busy at the skill that we have or the role that we have in a in an organisation. And with Kanban, we're trying to get people to look at the work itself, the work items that flow through an organization and result in value to the customer. So that's the first part of it, you know, to see workers flow. And that's also part of, um, uh, if you like, the shortest definition of Kanban is to start from seeing your workers flow uh, to actually make it visual, to visualize it, um, you know, with a Kanban board or however you get to be able to see this invisible work, which is knowledge work, and then make changes to the way you work to improve the flow of value to customers. So that's also a very simple summary of how to start using Kanban. Mm, right. Um, and I like how um, the way you phrased um, these seemingly simple concepts, but with a lot of actually, with a lot of things supporting them, you phrase them in a very concise way. And you also mentioned that we don't only need to see our work as a flow, but as a flow of fulfilling the need of the customer. Mm. So that's also right in the, in the core of it, right? Uh, yes, and I, I think that is um, important. The um, Kanban is a is a way of, of looking at multiple different aspects. So, seeing your your work flowing to a customer brings a customer straight into that discussion of how mm. we manage the work because managers are very often mostly concerned with what people are doing and managing the people. But um, Drucker said a long time ago, "Manage the work, not the workers." Um, and this is part of actually the service delivery principles in, in Kanban, uh, that our, our main efforts in managing knowledge work should be the actual work items and where they flow through the, um, the workflow, where, where they get stuck, and where they don't result in value to the customer. These are all the key things to Im improve what we're doing. And so, yeah, um, seeing, seeing workers flow from customer need to needs met is, is part, I guess you say, bringing the customer into the center of how we think about what we're doing. And of course, the customer is different in different, different aspects. Um, the, 
actually the, the third part of the lens is is to see knowledge work in other words services that we we deliver from software development is a, is a key one of those so see knowledge work as a service and again that brings in the concept to, to deliver a service you're delivering it to a customer it might be an internal customer it might be um, the end customer as far as the organization is concerned but it changes the way we think about what what we're doing and why what makes our work fit for purpose um, from the customer's viewpoint yeah i think it's, it's something that's sometimes um a slightly harder to understand concept um, because people are just so used to think more intrinsic about the business and as if it was self-sustained system that doesn't need any input from outside but in the end even if we do that there are still lots of customers within the company within the organization mm -hmm. that we need to be optimizing for and that we're delivering for because in the end it's not just about the numbers it's the purpose of the work video yeah well i, I think that's a good point I, and, and I, I think um you know kanban is a management method it's a it's a way of looking of looking at work um, and how to manage the work and how to increase the, the value that, that flows through it. So it is an important concept. And I think particularly as we want, um, you know, in, in, modern, in modern companies, we want uh, management that's able to encourage innovation, to, um, to increase the engagement of staff um, through motivation, through autonomy, through, you know, not micromanaging people to, to do a work. And so how we see work, how we see workflow, not, not um, you know, just handoffs from this person to this person, but series of knowledge discovery steps, how we see work as a service. So again, helping the whole organization to see the customers outside that benefit from what we do um, and seeing the whole organization as a, as a network of these services. Now, that to me is what the Kanban method is about, much more than, um, well, or not just the, the aspects that we usually talk about when we starting to use Kanban or training Kanban, the a Kanban system where you've got a pool system with limited work in progress. And that um, that's an important aspect of how we can ensure that services are not overburdened, that they are starting work that they can actually finish within a predictable time and these kinds of aspects. So yeah, they're, they're all, um, all these ways of looking at work and workflow and, um, and knowledge work and the organization, they're all part of bringing um, a wider understanding of Kanban to to management as well as to people actually doing the work. Mm, right. So we went over the first three lines now, right? We talked about seeing work as a flow and flow of fulfilling the need of the customer. Then you also said that it's a sequence of knowledge discovery, not just steps into person. Yeah. It's discovering as we go as well. And it's also everything we do is actually in the end a service, not just a product delivery. And mm. what would be the final lens that puts it all into sharp focus? Well, uh, yes, the fourth element is is looking at how we look at the organization. Um, so we can realize is that, you know, for near, for, you know, for most of us, we're working in knowledge work of some kind. We're working not with a physical product, um, or if there is a physical product, it's not the main part of our work to actually manufacture or make that physical product. It's about the design. It's about the improvement of the design. It's about how customers receive our um, our products and so on. So um, we're involved in in um, knowledge work as, as a service, but these services, the, the services that make up the what, the units of work that we do are actually interdependent in a larger organization. So we can, everybody can, can find, can see, okay, I'm involved in a service that delivers to this internal customer or to this external customer, but to, to actually bring this together in an effective way, we need to recognize the network of services that are interdependent. And that's where we need feedback loops um, that ensure the services are balanced, that um, 
the right work happens at the right time and um, and that everybody working hard to d- deliver to their customer actually results in the end customer getting the best possible result. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a different way of looking at, you know, what people talk about scaling agile. Actually, we need to, to recognize that most of us work in large, larger organizations. I'm not quite sure, you know, how large, how large the organization has to be to say most of us work in them. But uh, obviously the very small organizations are vital as well. But um, in, in these larger organizations, it's the, end-to-end flow which is significant so in software development for example it's not just um the team of you know five six or ten or 20 or 50 people that are developing a product it, um it's the end you know it's the end-to-end flow from ideas through to um supported software in the field being used by customers and being um uh, being supported so um that end-to-end flow involves a uh, lots of different things as well as support services like um human resources and I should say people, um, mm. but uh, <laughs> those departments tend to get called human resources um, and legal and sales and marketing. And they're all contributing to f- a flow of value in the organization, um, which means the customer gets um, a better service from us and that the organization can work in a sustainable and a survivable manner. Mm. Right. And so far, it sounds like this is not a context dependent um, method or view because for quite a long time people considered Kanban just manufacturing method. So it's only for delivering very feasible f- physical products and because of the history of how it came out mm. in factories of Toyota, people thought, okay, that's just that. Then slowly it started kind of merging with agile movement in software where people thought, okay, we cannot we cannot go on like this forever or anymore. It's just taking unreasonable amount of time with one flexible yeah, I think, um, you, you know, it's probably Toyota, well, it's certainly Toyota that originally used the, the term Kanban to, to represent these signals in a flow of work, a physical flow of work in a factory to ensure that um, the right amount of work gets produced at the right time, that we don't produce work that is not ready to be consumed by either the customer or by the internal processes in the manufacturing process. So they um, systematized that approach it probably came from supermarkets before that. And, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's basically a way of, of controlling the amount of work that flows through a system. So I think it's really in the first decade of this century that um, people started looking seriously at, um, you know, is this applicable in, in software development, for example, so agile teams are adopting it. Um, um, I mean, before that, all the agile methods as well were influenced by um, uh, the you know the Japanese the lean movement and so on so it's been going a long time going on a long time it's not just um, you know say probably the the sort of roots of what we call Kanban in the software world was um, 2004 to 2007 um, in Seattle where uh, with a number of companies um, David Anderson and others were um, applying those techniques um, but um, you know the roots of the roots of Kanban are, are you know, go, go back much further. So yeah, it's in, we draw on those ideas um, from the manufacturing world because actually the same sorts of things happen in knowledge work. The, right. the key, there, there are key differences and that's why, you know, the Kanban method is explicitly saying it's about knowledge work, it's about services. Um, so in manufacturing, we're, we're concerned with removing variability of having very standard work um, that is, is predictable in, in, in very small time chunks. Um, in software development, for example, we expect to have variability. We expect to have, you know, there's variability in manufacturing, but we expect to have a, a, a higher degree of of, um, uh, of variability. And uh, so 
it's a different kind of work. But it's really quite surprising that the degree to which the same kind of technique, the same kind of way of designing a system where signals um, sort of show people starting work, whether further down the, the route to actually delivering it to the customer, there's capacity for it to be delivered. And that's a crucial, crucial element of it. Right. Um, and today we see that it's expanding much further than just even software development. And do yes. you see this trend of it's, or actually, do you think it's applicable for other industries outside of IT? Because some people would put it under a question. They would say, just like they were saying it about manufacturing, now people say, well, it's just for software development. I'm in accounting, I'm in design. It just doesn't work in design. Yeah, I think, I think it's... Um it's very interesting to me uh, how applicable it is. I, um, my son-in-law is um, a head teacher in a primary school and he came to stay this half term just gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course there's a few books in the house and some of them are about Kanban. So he picked one of these books up actually personal Kanban by uh, Jim Benson and was reading it. And uh, I said, Oh, this is fantastic. I could use this in my primary school. Um, and uh, I, you know, so he goes, he goes back, that week puts up a Kanban board. This is, this is the work that I'm doing. The, the other senior members of staff think, Oh yeah, we, we really need the key thing about what it's doing is it's making work visible. So mm. lots of work, not just in schools, but, you know, in any context, our work is invisible. Yes, we can see we're busy and managers very often focus on, well, is that person busy? Cause otherwise I'm not getting value from them. Well, everybody's busy. But what are, they, what are the things that they're working on and are they actually being delivered? And we had very interesting discussions, not just about um, using Kanban in the school and for the staff, but for the children as well, because um, the, one of the key difficulties in their primary school was maybe 30 children and one teacher and a couple of assistants, perhaps, mm -hmm. not always that. And they are mixed ability children, you know, so, so they've got a wide range of ability. They want to do, to talk about a topic together and do work on a topic. But as they break up and do different tasks at different levels of ability and different amounts of work, staying on the same topic and so on, using a CAM member to show that and to show the children the sense of I'm taking this piece of work and I'm going to take it through to being finished. Actually something we should, you know, learn from in our, in our own work, but <laughs> starting work and then being able to finish it is really fulfilling as opposed to just being busy, just doing stuff. Oh yeah, I've got more stuff to do today and more stuff after that. So that's, that's a key idea. It's definitely, definitely applicable outside. And, uh, you, you know, the, it's, it's not so much get, getting involved with, um, you know, what people call it or, or, you know, whose ideas these are originally and all the rest of it is, is applying what we have learned about the flow of work through many decades. Um, in manufacturing, in design, in knowledge work generally, in software development, and seeing how do we improve that continuously. Because Kanban, at the end of the day, is an improvement method. The Kanban method, the first principles of Kanban method are about change management. They're also about um, service delivery. So those two sets of principles are the sort of foundation of it. So looking at how we continuously improve the way we work to meet a changing fitness landscape. So the, the environment out there is changing continuously. And um, what we did last year is not necessarily going to be the way we're working this year or the best way to work this year. So as things change, how do we change the way we work that we, we're always looking at what makes this work fit for purpose? What are our customers trying to do? Um, you know, and are they doing it successfully? So um, yeah, always interestingly exciting. So yeah, it's, it's widely applicable outside um, IT where probably you and I came across it um, and um, you know within IT as well um, it's 
broadening the scope of what, of what people are doing. This is this is the way to scale Kanban. You know, it's just look a little bit wider than when you're looking at the moment. You may be interested in how to, how the software development team gets their user stories and delivers them to um, user acceptance testing or whatever. But the flow of value to the customer is a little bit wider than that. And when you've got the end-to-end flow from ideas to, to customers, you've got those other parts of the organization that are contributing to it and getting information in the right places and so on. So that's, uh, that's, where, that's where we are. It's, a, it's an open-ended and a, an exciting place to be, I think, in terms of where Kanban goes from here. Right. And I really love that example that shows it's, it's not about the context, it's about using it <laughs> and stopping to think about where it came from, what the name is. It's such a big trouble. People keep focusing on the labels, but labels don't really do the work. Um, but also you've mentioned that it's uh, connecting the dust before and after. You mentioned this is the way to scale it and to make it to, to a system level, to organizational level. Yeah. So could we just um, maybe retreat and go into this once again? So once we've let's say we've applied the Kanban lens, we looked at all the things we do. It's very easy to get stuck on just the team level. So people think, okay, I'll get lots of teams. Each of them will be Kanbanized or Mm -hmm. like that. They will all have their lens on. They will see the things right, but it doesn't have to stop there, does it? No, I think, I think it can't stop there. If you're focused on the flow of value, that's, that's why this is a good sort of starting point of look. Where does this work come from? Where's it going to? Do the people it goes to, are they satisfied with um, what are the ways that we can make it better for them? So those are all um, considerations in it. But the way you scale Kanban is the same as the way you start Kanban. You start with what you're doing at the moment and what your area of responsibility is. And you see the worker flow, you know, the workers flow from, well, where did my work come from? Someone asked for it. Where does it go to? Maybe the same person or maybe a different part of the organization or maybe the end customer. So you see that and you improve it. But um, you then realize that you're dependent maybe on workers upstream that are producing stories that are ready for development or they're doing design work or they're doing work with customers to find out what they what they need and so on. And there's maybe work downstream, which is taking, taking your work and um, deploying it on different uh, servers or uh, doing different aspects of user acceptance testing or whatever the you know the downstream part of it. So then I just sort of say, oh yeah, it's not just my team. Mm-hmm. It's the, this wider service that delivers the product to the, to, to the end customer. And then when I see these pink stickers appearing on the board and this work is blocked, I wonder why it's blocked and if it's an external dependency. In other words, I need a service from somebody else to unblock this work because... And we want to change the database system or we want to um, you know, get hardware from elsewhere or we need to integrate with a third party. All those blockers then show up and think, oh yeah, they're delivering us a service. Um, and at the moment, um, because there are so many of those blockers in our system arising from it, that service is not fit for our purpose. The, that, that service needs to know about what we need and when we need it. So that again, you're just seeing these service by service, cambonize them and then look at each service in terms of its fitness for purpose. And then, you know, the, the aspects of, of it being at scale is as soon as there's two or three of these services which are recognizing that, yeah, they have to limit their work in progress, which means they may have su- sufficient capacity for the other services or they may not have sufficient capacity. So how do we improve those capabilities and how do we actually recognize that situation? Well, that's where things like the um, operations review is a feedback loop that can then begin to see, okay, where are we stuck? Where are the blockers coming? What's the balance of capability and demand for each of these services? And that allows us to, to, to complete the work. So the same principles of start from where you are, start from the service that you're at, and then scale it out service by service 
is the way to the way to get there from here. And uh, you know, it's been shown in in a lot of clients that that step by step process of you know one service at a time, um, and then bringing the feedback loops in to ensure that. Um, we're aware of each other. We're aware of the dependencies. We can design those dependencies out or we can ensure there's sufficient capability and so on. Mm. It's the way to go. Yeah. And, and speaking of, of um, if we can call them case studies, I bet you have some interesting examples or maybe unexpected success stories that you could share. Have, have you ever seen a team that discovered something they didn't expect to get from applying Kanban or something like this? Well, I, th I think there's always, uh, it's always an interesting um, situation to be working with clients because it's a method that um, asks people themselves to look at their work and improve it. It's, um, it's much more a case of um, allowing the people themselves to see that. I mean, I think there, there are many case studies and you know, there are case studies um, published now. I've been involved in some of the um, interviews for Kanban coaching professionals, which always involves a case study and um, you know, hearing people how, how they brought Kanban to a team or to a set of teams. And as they begin to, to use it, the things that have changed. It's always different. It's always different order that people would say, say well, we attack this problem like this. We, um, we change the way we're doing estimating or we change the way that we were um, uh, organizing the teams to address this problem. And that's why I like it. It's, it's, a, it's not a pre-canned solution for, for teams, even at scale. It's a um, look at your work in this way, see where the problems are, and then begin to uh, improve on them. So, yeah. No. I mean, um, specific case studies, I think probably the best place to, to look for those is the uh, LKU website, which has a number of well-written up stories. Um, mm. But I think uh, the other thing is make your own case study. Uh, actually start using the method and see the, the change it can make for you. Right. <laughs> Great. And what kind of or maybe top advice could you give to management when they're getting started with this? So are there some crucial mistakes to avoid? Because we talked about where to start and how to think about it. But is there something that somebody just must know before they do this? Well, um, I, I guess the best, the best way to start is to see what you're unhappy with. You know, what, what are either your customers unhappy in terms of the service they get from you? Or what are the workers who are delivering that service? What are they dissatisfied about? What are their frustrations? I think if we start anywhere else, um, such as, you know, I've seen this great method work in this case, and I'm coming to do exactly what they did over here, we're doing a different kind of change than the, um, the change management principles of Kanban, which is start where you are, um, make your work visible, and making work visible means make the, make the problems visible. It does it, it does it automatically to some extent, um, mm. just by being able to see what work is in progress. Usually that first step of it, okay, let's have a physical board to start with, and let's put some things on the wall to show what everyone's working in. Thinking, we're working in all that at the moment. You know, it brings the fact that we need to limit our work in progress into focus. They don't need to tell people, because they, if they put their work on the board, they see what it is. Okay, we can't do all that stuff this year. What are we focusing on? But it's really finding out where are your problems? Where, where is this client's problems and what's causing them pain? Because if there's not a real motivation to change from within, from those, those dissatisfactions, either with what the customer is reacting to it or from the, you know, the dissatisfaction in the team itself, um, then you know, you're going to change the wrong thing. And that's, that's very often the thing. It's why Kenman says start from where you are. Because um, it's not only because you 
will, you will then do change that sticks. That's one of the key reasons we do it. That if you start from where you are, you change the things because of dissatisfaction and uh, and move on from there. So that, that change is much more likely to stay when the consultant or the client or the trainer has left. But it's also because your current process embeds in it knowledge that the people working there don't know all the reasons why that has been done. And mm. so you could be losing stuff from the process just by sweeping that process away and installing a different one. The other side of that is that you need to give people permission to challenge what is causing the problems, to, to not just do things because we've always done them, but because actually when we look at the, this flow of work, when we see what stops it flowing, when we see what the customer reacts to it when they finally get it, those things are going to have to change. Otherwise, this won't be a sustainable long-term solution. So. Um, yeah, start where you are. Key, key concept, <laughs> key principle. Yeah, as simple as it might sound, it's quintessential. <laughs> mm, yeah, indeed. And going into the future, how how do you think the whole world of agile and lean and Kanban might be changing? Because even though lots of the principles seem to be evergreen, and they are based on just the fact that we need to be doing work and we want it to be done better, mm. do you think we should expect some kind of shifts and changes? Because at the core of this whole thing, we also say that nothing is constant and we shouldn't expect things to be permanent, but they will be changing. We think we'll, there are some few changes coming to the agile world. Constant change is here to stay, as they say. <laughs> um, yes, of course, things will change. And of course, they will change in a way that we, we don't expect. But I think you can look back over many decades of um, management systems of ways of looking at work and ways of improving not to build on those lessons of the past is very foolish it's not to say that um you know the the ancient fathers knew how to do software development and we must do it like they they did it but you know actually if you look at software development in the 50s there's things that you realize are constant and that that uh, we still want to produce small modules of uh well-contained um, module, you know, modularity of functionality and so on. This is this is not a new idea. This is way back that we realised you can't just write one monolith of code and expect it to work. So, of course, there are principles that that um, are common all the way through. I think the other thing is that um, we can't take specific practices and expect those specific practices to be exactly the same. So, to to make rules about the way we work because this is the way we work, is in my view a foolish way to go. It's, there is no ultimate wisdom about how someone should do their work. It's likely for me as a consultant going to a client, it's not likely, it is certain that client knows how to do their work better than I know how they should do their work. Mm -hmm. All I can bring is ways to look at their work in a slightly different way, ways to recognize problems that other people have uh, also come across, ways to, you know, general practices that apply in many different um, circumstances like visualizing the work like limiting your work in progress like building feedback loops that bring information in at the right cadence to ensure that um, people are looking at things regularly in the right way so all those things are general practices but the as we go into the future people will invent better ways of working that meet the fitness landscape there that, that's the only way we can do it we can't anticipate it we have to build services now that are fit for the context fit for the fitness landscape that businesses now exist in and also to build into the dna of organizations the fact that continuous improvement has to be 
in our blood, you know, we're focusing continuously on what we've achieved is not the end of the road. And there's so many examples of companies that have um, been wonderfully successful for many decades and had within them the scope to, to go further, but lost that continuous search for the next thing that they should be doing and the next way to work. So building that into organizations is also key. And so respectful way to change, a humane way to change from where we are now, respecting what people do, but building into people that desire to um, be looking for the next way to work. Um, It sounds inspiring. (laughs) (laughs) For the end, maybe I could ask one surprise question. If today you could turn any company or organization or structure completely agile or lean, or if you could work with one, one organization anywhere on the planet, what would you choose and why? It's an impossible uh, question, of course, and lots of places. Yeah, I mean, don't you find, once you get this way of thinking in, in your brain, you see so many organizations that are failing to focus on the work rather than the workers, that are failing to see where the end customer is and how to improve the experience of the end customer. I suppose one of the key areas is health is healthcare. Mm. And, it's not just because I think I might need more as I, I get older, you know, so <laughs> people generally do. But healthcare is one of those areas where you can see the principles of um, lean and Kanban uh, and where it's also being applied successfully. So that, you know, it's not like it's um, it, it, people working in healthcare are not um, aware of it. Um, but you also see um, the uh, difficulties and the and the lack of focus on where is the work, move people to the work, not they don't manage the workers, manage the work. Um, and of course, the, the work in this case is patients. So looking at the flow of patients, looking at the experience of patients who are also the customers, of course, for healthcare, um, that, is, that is a crucial way to look at it. So um, without knowing uh, much about it other than as a customer, um, I think it is an area where um, we can use these same principles. Um, one of the you know, one of the conversations I have had with managers in the health services is the aspect of balancing capability with demand mm. because um, the National Health Service in the UK is is a free at the point of need service. And that means that there is you can't limit demand by price. Right. Um, it's a universal service to people in the UK that, that, that they are um, going to be treated. Um, but you still have to look at those principles that if you don't limit work in progress, you don't have um, either predictable or effective throughput of work. So an overburdened service will always um, be working at a lower throughput than one which is limited work in progress to the capability of its, um, you know, of the, of the service. So it's, it's an interesting and a complicated one. It's, it's very political. It's very um, difficult because of its size and because of, um, you know, sort of universal policy, which means that it can be very difficult to improve small parts of it without um, um, least care. So yeah, so that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting problem. It's not the only interesting problem. It's just you know, you ask me tomorrow, I might come up with a different one. But that's uh, <laughs> certainly one. <laughs> yeah, and I bet there are lots of different um, spheres to dive into deeper in this question. But sure. um, at this point, would would have to <laughs> cut it. Thank you very much for the expertise you've shared with us and for taking the time to be here today with us. Well, Dina, it's been delighted to chat with you. Um, uh, hopefully, we haven't gone on so long that uh, nobody else has got to this part of the tape. It's just you and me at this point. But um, thank you very much for the conversation. Really enjoyed it. The Lamp is brought to you by Kanbanize, the leading Kanban software for lean management. Learn more at kanbanize.com. 
If you're watching us on YouTube, leave us a like. And if you're listening on iTunes, feel free to leave us a review. We really appreciate that. Thanks for joining us and see you here next time. Thank you.